The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent, including Olas Media. Olas Media. Olas Media presents 20 Doors. Hi, welcome to 20 Doors. This is Nathan Albo, your host, local San Diego real estate agent. Today, I have a special guest, Paul Botta of Botta Fulkerson Law Group. They are personal injury law attorneys in San Diego. You might have recognized uh, one of their many supercars posted up around town, uh, Ferraris, Bentleys, and Benzes with a big bulldog decaled on the side. Um, and if you haven't seen their cars. You may have recognized their state-of-the-art building um, as you go north, just passing Old Town off the five. Aside from being one of San Diego's top personal injury attorneys, Bottle Farkerson has shown a great interest in charitable work throughout the county, which is seriously, um, they've woven themselves in the fabric of society here in San Diego because of the charitable work they do. And they constantly seek uh, different types of ways to help the community. Um, and it's all a part of their business and how they run Botta Falkerson. Thank you for being here, Paul. I really appreciate you coming and joining. Of course, of course. I appreciate uh, the invite and look forward to uh, to talking a little bit about uh, us and you and all the deals we've done together. I, I wanted to bring you on the show for, for I want to highlight you for a few things. You've done some amazing things with with law, not just real estate. We'll get into the real estate stuff too, but the way you operate your company and your and your building, I wanted to bring you on here. And I think uh, it's an inspiring story and um, what you do for the community. You've you and your company, Bada Fockerson, have kind of you guys have just woven yourself into the fabric of San Diego and our society here. From a, not just from your business efforts, mainly from your your charitable efforts, which I think is just a very cool thing. What you guys have done. Because if they if they don't see any of your marketing or don't know your marketing or your building, they surely will know you guys from your charitable efforts and the volunteering you guys do year around. So I kind of wanted to kind of showcase that and, oh, I appreciate and spotlight that. you for doing that. Well, so, um, especially around the holidays, uh, the giving season is around, and we try to participate in as many community events as we possibly can. We set up uh, Bottle Fulkerson. Um, as a personal injury law firm that does things a little bit differently, we always want to put our clients first. We want to put their interests first, make sure we're taking care of their medical needs um, as the primary goal. And then from there, helping them recover for uh, their losses and their pain and suffering. Um, but when we established our law firm, our goal was to give back a percentage of all of our fees back to the community. And we've done that in a way where we've invited the community to reach out to us and let us participate, not just uh, financially, but we also try to support and um, get the media attention, um, make sure that these events uh, have the publicity that they need. Um, and if we all do a little bit, we figure a lot can get done. So that was kind of our uh, one, of, one of our pillars when we started our, our law firm about six and a half years ago. Um, so it's been great. We've been able to grow and we've been able to help the community along the way. And that's probably the, the most rewarding part of the business so far has just been able to, to grow and establish a, a community base. You know, just outside looking in, you know, that was going to be one of my questions. So that had to have been like a mission statement of your, your guys's, you know, when you guys were building Bada Fockerson, 
I mean, you guys, was that part of the plan? Part of the plan was, okay, we're going to build this business, but no matter what, this is what we're doing. Part of the business is we're going to donate back and give back to the community. Yeah. um, When we established, we kind of mapped out our vision um, as far as how we wanted to be a personal injury law firm, not just any personal injury law firm. Um, In our industry, like many, there are people that get bad reputations from doing things in a certain way that doesn't put uh, their client's interest first. So one of our main um, goals was always put the client's interest ahead of our own, always give back to the community and, you know, try to maintain an atmosphere that we could be proud of. Um, you know, our our employees, the people that we that work with us are a part of us and we want them to um, be able to exemplify us. So Whenever we have any employees that have a passion towards a certain thing, whether it's um, giving back to the shelters or helping children or whatever it may, we may, whatever it may be, we do our best to incorporate uh, charitable organizations and, and things that we do as a team to help um, support them. So that's that's a big part, and that's been since day one. I, I kind of know your company, and I know your employees and everyone there, and I can kind of see they all carry that same kind of vibe, and it clearly all trickles down from the top. So, you know, just, I just want to kind of point that stuff out because it's really cool what you do. You've done some really cool things with real estate that I can't wait to talk about. But um, what you guys do on the charitable level is just something I think a lot of people need to know about. And, um, and just how you run your business and that being kind of a big pillar of your business and kind of how you do things. I think a lot of companies uh, should look at you guys should be influenced, should be inspired, should be motivated because it's a cool way to do business. And I think um, obviously the world would be a better place if everyone kind of had that mentality. The reason I brought you on this show, not just because of the real estate stuff, but I was talking to someone and they um, they said a statement and I thought about you and your company right away. And they said, he said, I want to be a philanthropist before I get rich. And I thought, man, that's really really cool i never that's really cool i never heard of that because it's totally the other way around it's like because i i would love to participate as much as i can but the you're like but i'm gonna do it after i get rich or i'm gonna do it after i make money and then i'll give it you guys are like no i'm gonna do it as i'm making money and that's just um a really selfless type of mentality and approach it's it's that's also conveyed to how you handle your clients in law and your approach there. And I just think it's a, just a wonderful thing. And the way you guys are impacting San Diego and what you guys do, man, you guys are awesome. So thank appreciate you for that. that. Yeah. Thank the, you. The community appreciates you guys for sure. We appreciate uh, our community as well. <laughs> cool, man. I want to talk about some real estate stuff that you've done because you're Paul's 36 years old, young, very impressive what he's done in the you know business world for sure. But what he's done in the real estate world, is kind of pretty impressive too. You've ascended this real estate ladder. You've done some very complicated deals and um, it's doable. You probably thought you weren't going to be a real estate expert or do all these real estate things that you've done, but you've done them. I was just telling him before we got on the show, he's done a kind of like a lifetime worth of real estate deals in just, you know, in his, in his mid thirties. Um, People are afraid of real estate. People are afraid of kind of these terms and and these things that you've done. So I just want to I want to just go over like a time frame and a timeline of deals you've done, okay. and just to give people an idea of of how it could be done. Sounds right? good. Yeah, it's a, it's a building process, but it yeah, definitely can be done. Okay, so 
You were young. When did you buy your first place? I bought my first uh, place, I believe, in 2014 or 2015. It was uh, earlier in my career. I wanted to buy an investment that uh, I could rent out. Uh, at the time, I had uh, I'd been living in Little Italy at really cheap rent. And every place I was looking for um, that I could afford at the time, I would end up paying more money in my mortgage payments to cover the mortgage and the HOAs and things than the rent I was paying to live in Little Italy. So when I bought my first place, my mindset was to still pay rent and stay in my Little Italy spot, but buy a, uh, it was a condo in Mission Valley that I'd purchased and um, rent it out and just have it pay off itself, start to build some equity. And that was my mindset is just you know, I have some money sitting, invested in a property and let it pay off itself. And hopefully it would appreciate uh, over time. How old were you when you bought that condo? I was about 27 or 28. 27. That's probably a good age to buy your first place. I would encourage people to even try to buy earlier. But Paul's going to be one of those stories where he bought early on in his life. And, it, and we're going to talk about how it worked and how mm -hmm. it kind of benefited throughout the whole process. So you bought a condo, not necessarily an area you wanted to live in, right? You were living in Little Italy, great lifestyle over there. I never um, condone or recommend renting. In your case, that works. I've seen it happen a couple times mm -hmm. um, where your rent was so cheap that it was, it was worth renting there because I remembered what your rent was there. But you did a smart thing where you recognized I still needed to be invested, mm -hmm. right? So you, so you invested. So I think renting's fine if you want the lifestyle, but be invested, right? I 100% agree. It, it was just that circumstance. And it's, it, it's one of those circumstances that you'd have to really calculate and make sense. As far as the numbers go, for people that like to track numbers, I was uh, paying thirteen fifty for my rent, and I bought a place that I was able to rent out for sixteen fifty. And my mortgage and my payments on that place were about fourteen hundred. So I was making an extra two hundred fifty bucks a month renting out the place I had purchased. I believe the purchase price at the time it was purchased twenty fifteen. It was one hundred eighty thousand dollars. Lot lot different of a time. Rent was cheaper. Correct. The the price of the unit was cheaper. How much did you put down on that place? 20%. 20% down. And you paid how much, you said? 180 or 182. Some 50 grand, right. 60 grand. Correct. Something that's what you put down. You saved up your 27, about right. Correct. People should be saving, having that much money to put down. The numbers are a lot bigger now. So people just need to position themselves more, right, to get into their first place. But you positioned yourself, right, to get that place. You saved. Yeah, I saved up and had to tighten the belt a little bit. Um, the first purchase is never easy. Um, if any, I, I might've even got, had to take out a little bit of, of loan money to help cover some other things. But to me, it was just important to make that initial investment, um, and to get the ball rolling. Cause I knew that, you know, with the market, it will always appreciate over time. Uh, there's always ebbs and flows, but with property, when you talk to anyone that purchased a property 20 years ago and you ask them, how much did you buy your property for? 10 years ago, how much did you buy your property? There's been times in that, in that decade or two decades where absolute fluctuation happened. But when you look at that time frame, it's almost always an appreciation and a substantial appreciation at that. So that was kind of the mindset I had was the one thing that I've seen that's always appreciated is real estate. Well, you had a long-term plan for this? Was it long-term? You were thinking this is a long-term investment. You weren't thinking I'm going to get rich in a year, right? 
absolutely not. I had no intentions of of doing that. If anything, when I got the first place and got a 30-year mortgage on it, I figured, oh, I'll have this place paid off in 30 years. And 30 years from now, that's, you know, whatever, $300,000, $400,000 of equity. Right. That's the conservative mentality. That's Correct. I, I share that, that, that same mentality. Luckily, in San Diego, there's a lot of room to make money in the short term. And it, it should be purely by accident, just because we're this very fast, incredibly growing city with a lot of upside. But real estate's long term in every city and every state. That's how it always should be considered. So one cool thing about San Diego is we do share a lot of uh, like short-term successes, right. which I think is just, it's, it's different from other areas just because of our growth. But so you did your condo. Now I want everybody who's listening to the podcast to just fo- follow this. He did a condo. He was 27. He got married a few, few years later. You, mm-hmm. needed, you needed a house. Correct. So next came dream home, right? Correct. You were in a position where you, you didn't have to sell the condo at the time. The condo was an investment property anyways. How, how was that process, fi- finding the dream house? and So we wanted to, we got married and we knew we were going to have a family or wanted to have a family at the time. So wanted uh, to move closer to East County, closer to family, wanted, um, there's certain things that we both wanted. For me, I lived in Little Italy by the water uh, my whole life. So, you know, I'm like, if we move out, want a pool and the wife wanted certain features in the house. So we made our lists of negotiables, non-negotiables, and uh, we uh, we knew what area we wanted to. We kind of drove around certain areas. And what's interesting when you're buying your first home is there's certain things that you think about your present life and how certain things impact your present life. But it's hard to forecast your future when you're talking kids and when you're talking schools and you're talking um, about proximity to things that don't just have to do with you and your family, with, with you and your business, but your family and your family's life. And so when, when we were searching for a home, we wanted something closer to where um, my wife's family was. So we had that family and support around us. But at the same time, I also wanted to have space. Like if I'm moving away from the water in Little Italy, um, I wanted to have more than just a condo style, style living. So we also wanted um, some space. So we, we put down our, our, our list of things that we wanted and, you know, we had our budget in mind. And of course, we had to think about, okay, if we buy a fixer upper, how much do we have to spend to, to get it to how we would want it and, and those types of things. And we didn't want to break the bank either, um, just going, becoming cash poor on, on our home, but we wanted it to be manageable. So um, buying your first home is a big deal, especially when you plan on living there for, you know, either forever or for 5, 10, 20 years, whatever it may be. Um, So we put together our list, we found our areas, and then we basically brought everything to the table with you. And um, that process was actually pretty incredible because I remember sometimes I'd, you know, I'd be texting you all throughout the the days and, and sending you properties and it you'd always give me that opinion of, well, this area is not, not the best area as far as driving goes. These roads are a bit dangerous and you got to think about the future with your kids and family um, and, and, and the proximity that this may be from your workplace and so uh, I was, as I was looking at a house, um, my geographical map expanded because based on your budget, the further out you go, the bigger your house, the bigger the land, the, the nicer the columns, all that stuff. Um, but <laughs> Nathan just certainly uh, had done this quite a few times and would hone me in and be like, 
being in close proximity to your lifestyle is a big deal and being on uh you know off of not a rural road with children and where you'd have to constantly commute so definitely helped guide me as far as knowing what upsides there were on certain properties and and valuing the areas that these properties were in were you looking for upside was that even a concern or a care about not you? with my home no um, my mindset is is that the real estate market gradually grows so when you're buying a home that you're going to live in over under some money is not the biggest deal when you're financing a home over 30 years what was really important to me was making sure it checked off the boxes that i wanted because if i'm living there for a number of years i want to make sure that certain things were there i wanted a backyard i wanted a pool and a barbecue grill and that was my (laughs) my criteria and some of my pluses were a cul-de-sac and views and those types of things but those weren't my non-negotiables so when i was working with you and when i was working with when i just worked with everyone else um i take you know your lifestyle criteria and what you want and kind of what your dream is and how you want to live and then i let you you know you checkbox those items. And then I, I always have my own checkboxes. I don't, I don't even tell you what they are really, but, but it's, it's, it's upside and it's upside. I look for, and it's, I look for that part. I let you fall in love with the house and find, you know, uh, the criteria that you need, but I'm always searching for the upside. So, um, with you, with everyone else, I'm sure you can remember how many no's we said or how many things I just know that won't sell in the future. The, the second, the market kind of shifts slightly the other way. So, so um, you found that house and it's not, I'm not just looking, we're not just looking for like uh, investment or appreciating type of criteria. We're trying to balance that with what you want, your lifestyle, how you're going to raise your kids, what, what's going to make you happy with the other stuff of, you know, whether it's uh, the location or like you said, cul-de-sac or high ceilings or one story or views or just things that sell because we want to make sure you make money on the property. That's that's my biggest goal in real estate. And I just, I speak for myself when I say that because I just come from that position of I, I need this guy to make money. I don't want to spend $2 million on marketing. I just would rather my client come back to me a few years later and tell me they made a ton of money and we buy another property. So so um, you that, bought a really nice house. We stayed conservative. You got the criteria you wanted. And I think you got really good upside there. And I and looking for that upside, I think, and people keep keep listening, keep following, because this story is going to turn into how you've accumulated eight figures in real estate, which is a very, very impressive. So so keep listening. You share you, we, you, you got your dream home, everything you wanted. I was happy with the upside. You made some good money on that property. We'll, we'll move on, right? Yeah, I mean, the big deal that I wanted to to bring up on that was my wife and I had to come to terms on the house. But the better part of it was is that we valued Nathan's opinion so much because it wasn't about the sale. That w- obviously he wanted us to be in a home. He knew we were on the market to buy a home, and once we decided to get the home, um, he was able to seal the deal and, and get it done. But the the mindset of how is this going to appreciate over time certain things the vision the visionary that you bring to the table it's always what can be done what can add value things that may not add value i've talked to nathan about oh i'm going to redo this 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 and he's like yeah it's not going to add so much value but if you redo this it'll add a ton of value to your property and that's 
the reason we've been able to do so many deals with each other. But that initial home that we bought and the, the, the small upgrades that we were able to make, um, we've almost doubled our money. And we bought that house. Um, when did we buy the house? In 2018, and which is remarkable in a four-year time span to almost double your money on a house. Um, but it was it was definitely well thought out, and uh, we appreciate you bringing that in the house to the table. I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, you doubled your money, you know, and not it's not not because of me. I'm not like highlighting myself, but you went with conservative, safe criteria that sells. When I tell my clients about safe criteria and about this type of criteria that sells, it's because I know what sells, right? I know what people don't want, and and I know what people want. Um, if there's a problem with the house, if there's a hurdle, can we overcome that hurdle? Bam, we just made money on this real estate because you had a vision on how to overcome a certain hurdle that might deter another buyer from buying this place. That's like real estate 101 to me. And you were very coachable. You listened to me. Some people don't want to listen. And at that point, I say, fine, buy what you want to buy. You know, I'm still going to tell you what I think. And I'm still going to tell you it's wrong. You can still move forward. But you actually you stepped back every time I said step back and it and it worked. And and I think that's probably why it it doubled, probably would outperform probably a lot of other types of properties we may have looked at or other properties you may have thought. Yeah. I mean, what, what I've learned uh, being one that provides a service is I'm good at what I do and I give people direction um, based on my expertise. And some people take it and some people don't. But when I'm stepping into somebody else's expertise, I definitely want to take uh, what you have to say. And and obviously, you've done quite a few deals and you've seen this market uh, turn quite a few times. So um, I value your opinion greatly and I appreciate you making them because they've all been lucrative. So no, thank for, you. For sure. And we're actually in one of those markets where it did shift a little bit. And people who maybe didn't think that far into it with that with, with the type of sellable criteria that I promote... I think those people are hurting right now. And I think um, I can name a bunch of deals easily, people losing 50,000, 100,000 in four months just because they bought the wrong criteria from the beginning. They wouldn't have lost anything if they bought criteria that actually holds up. So that's a big part of my business and just what I promote. So it worked there. Okay, moving on, you did another, this is the third deal. We got four total deals, right? Mm -hmm. The third deal, which is actually two deals. That's when you said, okay, I'm gonna do a 1031 exchange. I'm gonna sell my condo. I'm going to move it up into a bigger property. 1031 exchange is a is a can be a very complicated transaction. It's known to be one of the most complicated transactions. There are time frames included. There are huge tax implications mm -hmm. if you can't meet those time frames. So it's, it can be a very stressful thing. Most people, 90% of people in life, 95% of people won't ever do an exchange. It's a huge tax loophole. Okay, so we're going to explain what that is. You can sell your property, take all the proceeds, move it to another property, and not have to pay any type of taxes on the gain. So, so you buying a property for a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred eighty thousand, you sold it for three fifty. You had a, a, a you know a huge gain on that, probably like a fifty thousand dollar tax liability. I'd say something like that. Right. So you decided I'm not going to pay Uncle Sam that hundred fifty. I'm going to move it to a bigger property. Well, let me go back a second. What made you do this? So the Why market, did you want to do the, the market was really, really hot. It was about a year ago, and the one bedroom, one bath that I bought for one eighty, sometime in twenty fifteen by uh, 2020, 2021, um, it was about three fifty, three fifty five, and I was thinking, how much more can a one bedroom, one bath appreciate over time in this area? And 
at the time the Qualcomm project had just um, the, all the Qualcomm had shut down, and so I, I figured why not roll the money into a bigger project considering that I could sell at a high and interest rates were still at a low. So that was the mindset was just trying to roll it into something that's bigger. And, you know, also, also um, I was at a point of comfortability where if my payment did go up or whatnot, then I would make that play. And what's funny was, is when we had sold the condo, I was actually looking for a multiplex. I was looking for like a fourplex or an eightplex. And I probably sent Nathan 50 different properties. All of them didn't pen out right where um, I'd be coming out of pocket quite a bit. And if one of those units was to go vacant, then I'm coming out of pocket more and more and more. And we had just come off of a rent moratorium where people weren't paying rent. So that's a scary thought where you buy a property for a few million dollars and no one's there to help pay the mortgage. So after doing a lot of uh, market research on this, we wanted to do a conservative play being that we didn't know where the the rental market was headed. And eventually we we found a property that we were able to 1031 into. um, And it was a single story, uh, three bedroom, two bath and a gated community um, that was well kept, really nice, quiet community. And I believe we had bought that property. We had sold for three fifty, and we rolled that money in. And this property we bought for five ninety, and uh, I've owned that property now for about fourteen months. Uh, that property that was you know the epitome of upside for me. It was single story, golf course view, gated, like fourteen fifteen hundred square feet, three bedroom garage. It had um, all the makings of a of a perfect retirement area. I always felt that, right? Uh, we're in this market where 10,000 people are retiring a day. These boomers are retiring at 10,000 people a day. I mean, so the upside there is, all right, you have 20 years of, this is exactly what people want to buy for the next 20 years. So we recognize that upside. You recognize it. You jumped all over it. We completed the exchange. Now, fast forward a year later, I brought some figures just so kind of the whole world can kind of see how this kind of all pencils out all right well your condo you sold it for three hundred fifty thousand. correct right it's it's worth um i ran some numbers four hundred and fifteen thousand today okay. probably right on, on the good day you would have realized uh probably like sixty thousand bucks maybe seventy thousand bucks from that sale if you were to hold that property in the short term so this is just kind of an interesting kind of idea so you moved up to the to this new house right only uh, $150,000 more, $200,000 more than, than what you bought it for. In the short term, so the condo goes up $70,000. The house running numbers, the same area, the same house goes for like $740,000. Correct. So we're talking like $150,000 gain in, in one year in the short term versus a $60,000, gain. If you had just stayed in that condo, that's a pretty impressive return for just for just one year and moving money from this unit to another unit, you came out of pocket nothing. Correct. Correct. And and the rental value is is even more impressive than that. Um, if we were to rent out a one bedroom, one bath in Mission Valley versus a three bedroom, two bath in a gated community, um, the upside in the rental value um, was tremendous as well. So 
whether you just simply hold the property and look at the appreciation that the the property value has is is great, but the amount, um, the proportional rate of the rental value increase was also there. And it more than covers the mortgage and any ancillary bills that I have. But like you said, the ceiling of being worth more one day was totally um, uh, there for that for that re- relinquished property that you bought, for Correct. the replacement property that right. you bought. You, like you said, the condo, I mean, how much more higher could it have gone? It's a one bedroom. You saw the stuff going on with the rental moratorium, kind of other things happening with the economy, moving it over to a house. You just have way more room to go up. And another thing I'd like to say, talking about you going back to how markets shifted, that property didn't lose. No. That condo will lose, though. Yes. You will. That condo will. In fact, it did. Correct. It did. There was the HOA fees just continue to to go up and up and up in that area, too. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's I, I do think we got out of there at a good time. It went up to as high as 430, mm-hmm. and then the next two sales went to 415. So that's probably going to trend down. I see that probably selling at 400. So moving that money, you know, to different properties was probably like a very, very huge thing. Um, these are big numbers. I mean, we're talking, these are big numbers, $100,000 and $50,000. These are, these are big, big numbers for people and a lot of savings. And that's, that's what a nest egg is. So, so to be able to climb up that ladder and gradually build up that type of money that's just there in your bank and not touch. I mean, that's, it's almost passive. It is. You, you own your home and the investment is almost passive because you're just paying your mortgage. And eventually you pay off the property and then whatever rents you're collecting or whatnot, that is your passive income. That's your retirement income. It's huge. Um, so you have these three deals, these three or four deals. We've climbed up this, this real estate ladder, then came the big, the big kahuna, right? <laughs> the commercial deal. Tell us about the commercial deal. So the commercial deal was, um, it came interesting. We had our eye on the property for some time and w- it was a property that wasn't on the market. When, um, when it did hit the market, it came at the most unexpected time and it was um, government owned property. So it wasn't a typical purchase uh, sale type of uh, type of deal. The way that a sealed bid auction work or a government sale works is the property is offered and you can inspect the property, but there's no asking price. And you have to do all your contingencies and do all your due diligence prior to making an offer. And the reason they call it a sealed bid, uh, a sealed bid offer is because you put your bid basically on a form and you write your uh, closing estimated time frame, you put it in an envelope and you either take it to Sacramento or you, uh, you send it certified or something of that nature. And then during a, um, a hearing that they have, they open up all these bids and it's live and they read off each uh, offer that was made. And so we had to do all of our due diligence prior. Um, we had people telling us to bid seven and a half million dollars. Um, at first, we were very comfortable at the four million dollar mark, and it was it was nerve wracking because the day before um, we put in our bid for the property, we still were not comfortable um, with our number, and it was myself and my law partner Dan Fulkerson. So. I remember the day before we were sitting there talking about, okay, so like, what's it going to be? And 
And it boiled down to the question of if we bid $4.75 million and lost it to someone that bid $5 million, would we be upset? And we both said, yes, we would. We'd both be upset if somebody had purchased the property for $5 million and we had bid like even $4.9 million. We would have been frustrated. But then we, we brought the question up is if we bid $5 million and somebody purchased the property for $5.1 million, would we be upset? And that was the one marker where we were both comfortable to say, no, we would not be upset if we bid $5 million and lost a property to 5.1. So that was the number we had put down. So that morning, I remember uh, my wife had uh, her first ultrasound. Uh, so we got to, for my son. And then on the drive home, I tuned in and during the hearing, they opened up these envelopes and we were the fourth one. The first uh, envelope came in at $4 million. That was that offer. The second one was like a developer that had offered $2 million. The third offer was another developer that had offered $2.5 million. And then our envelope opened at $5 million. And at that point, I wanted to, uh, I was feeling a little sick to my stomach that I almost had paid a million dollars more than any other person had bid. Um, but then the the fifth uh, bid came in, I believe, at 4.6 or 4.7. So thank God. It, it made me feel a little bit better about the deal. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I would have uh, still been frustrated. But what's interesting is when I think about it in hindsight, whether I bid whether whether it was $5 million or $5.5 million or whatever it was at that time, it still appreciated and we got the upside. By the time um, we had gone to the bank to, uh, to get a loan for our build-out, our property had already appreciated and we were able to get our build-out done um, through the bank and we didn't have to put any additional money out of pocket. So it ended up working out great. Um, so it was, it was a very interesting process, a very nerve wracking process, but it was, uh, definitely one that, uh, that we'll always remember. And that will, a couple things. I mean, your mindset was perfect there because it, um, prevents, uh, heartbreak and disappointment. And I like to set up my clients with that kind, same kind of setup, you know, like, are you going to be mad if you didn't pay this number? Because it, a lot of residential stuff was the same way the last couple of years. You know, it's just how much, how desperate are you? How much are you going to pay? Even though you didn't come from a place of desperation, but over the last couple of years, that's kind of how real estate has turned. So, um, and it's been a struggle for me to kind of tell people how much to offer. Cause it's like, okay, how much more above the comps are we going to offer? Mm -hmm. You know? And, and so you have to ask that question, what, what number is it going to take for you to, you know, be happy or not be sad that you lost it? Correct. And, and the mindset also has to be what, the purpose of the property is. So I was in the mindset, we were in the mindset of we're buying a property that will be the home of Bada Fulkerson here in San Diego for the next 15, 20 years. So we already knew who the tenant would be. We already knew certain criteria that at the end of the day, when you run the numbers, $100,000, $200,000 financed over 30 years, when you are occupying the property that you're purchasing, you're always going to make up that money over time. So 
the nearsighted approach is to be like, oh my gosh, I'm spending an extra $100,000. But when you break it up and think about it and when you have all the confidence in your own business, like we know we're not going anywhere. We know we're going to keep building and we're going to keep growing. And so basically we're able to make this investment for ourselves. Um, and it's been, it's been great. We, we got to a point where we didn't need all that space. We, we bought the building and we were going to rent out the second floor. And this was uh, at a time where we were moving out of our office at the Wells Fargo Plaza in downtown San Diego and moving into our property. The Wells Fargo Plaza is uh, owned by the Irvine Company and we're paying uh, some, some heavy rent uh, there. But when we transitioned at the time, it was during COVID and the Wells Fargo building was 100% occupied and it had dropped down to like 10%, 5% occupied because during COVID, everyone wow. left downtown. So it was a massive, massive exodus. So when we moved into our property and we had only occupied the first floor of a two-story building, initially we were like, what are we going to do with the whole second floor? Let's rent it out. It's scary too. It's, it's a scary thing. And we got some really, really, really horrendous offers for the whole second floor. Like here we'd have to share liability, share our parking, share our building and give up potentially 7,000 square feet of space for an offer of $5,000 a month, things like that. And they wanted build outs and they wanted so many things. So it got to a point where like, you know what, let's just hold. Um, let's not rent it out. We can afford to take, uh, take the hit and pay for the space. Well, that was probably one of the better decisions we had made because our, we continue to grow as our, as our business, even through COVID. And um, you know, we're blessed to not have had to let go of any staff members through, through the COVID so. times. And we occupied the space and, you know, at this time I could say we're fully occupied in that building. And, you know, we, we now have our eye on expansion. We just, uh, opened an office in Idaho and we're potentially looking at opening up another location or two here in, uh, in San Diego. That's beautiful. So you big $5 million building. Were you nervous? Oh, of course. Of course. The money part of the story is kind of interesting too. Um, sometimes um, things just kind of happen in mysterious ways. You got to have faith and in, in, in believe in yourself at times. But uh, I, re I remember it was um, I was going to take a trip to Europe and um, we were planning on purchasing a property because we needed more space than what we had. So I talked to my law partner and I'm like, hey, like, you know, taxes are due. Should I file an extension so I can hold some money in case we're going to make a big purchase or what are we going to do? And at the time, there was no, no properties on the market that we're interested in. So I'm like, eh, I don't want to pay any penalties or late. So I paid off my taxes, took my trip to Europe. I come back and this property hit the market and we had 30 or 45 days to make an offer to, to close. Well, you know, in a that's where our, our business side kind of kicked in. And we were fortunate enough to have three cases settle out for us during that time span. Um, I believe the three cases had settled out for over $9 million. And that's where the funding came in <laughs> to help us uh, make this purchase. It was meant to be. Would you say the equity you realized from the three prior real estate deals you've done did that alleviate any pressure or did that kind of give you, you know, some ideas saying, you know, well, I have this backup in this real estate from the house that I bought that maybe is worth whatever, a million dollars more and a few hundred thousand dollars in other real estate. So, so that accumulation of real estate, did that help at all with you saying, like, I understand real estate, 
I have backup money from the equity we've made from just our houses and the few deals that we've bought. Did that take any pressure away from you thinking like, uh, just in case, just as a backup, in case you thought maybe, you know, so, we all think about failure. Of course, of course. So to be honest with you, no, it, it, there wasn't that much of a backup because the property was worth so much more of an investment than all than these other investments I had made. So it was still, it was still, uh, it was still tricky. It was still hard. Whenever you level up, whenever you take a risk in life, whether it's you work as an employee and you decide I'm going to break off and start my own f- firm or start my own business, or I'm going to sell my house that's a million dollars where I held a seven hundred thousand dollar mortgage and I'm going to buy a house for two million dollars and I'm going to carry a million mortgage, it's always scary because your 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 numbers are increasing. Your your monthly payout, there's there's room for error, of course. But I had realized what we were paying for in rent, Hmm. how much I was paying the Irvine company in rent. And then we did the numbers for the building and my 3,400 square foot that I was paying for to the Irvine company with parking and all these ancillary bills, I was paying maybe $17,000 a month just in rent and parking and whatnot. We buy this building, we spend a million and a half, $2 million, probably closer to $2 million on the build out of the building. And- Was that financed? The Correct. The $2 million was financed and por- a portion of the purchase was financed. But- um, I think our our now what we're paying is let's say about thirty or thirty two thousand dollars, but the difference is is we went from three thousand five hundred square feet of space where we were burning seventeen thousand dollars a month paying the landlord to now occupying a property that has forty parking spaces, uh, I think twelve thousand or so twelve thousand square foot of uh, of space. We've been able to more than double our size, still have room to grow, and it's a manageable increase. And every penny that we're paying towards our property is also going towards principal. So 10 years from now, 15 years from now, that building's going to be paid off. And then Bada Fulkerson's paying rent, which is equity that's being made $35,000 a month. Um, we have an asset that's probably going to be worth about $10 million. More. Probably, probably more. You did great on it. So it's, um, it was a blessing. But yeah, when, when you're thinking about the nearsighted view of I'm going to, instead of paying 17000 in rent, I'm paying 30 plus thousand in mortgage. Well, it's still, a, it's still an out-of-pocket expense. But I was able to kind of look at our business model, look at our business growth and what. And so I had more... Um, security actually i was uh, we're at a place where our numbers were were very strong and i knew that it was it was the right play for us and there was a necessary play cuz if another the irvine company would have terminated our lease if we would have upgraded so if we went from 3500 square feet to 7000 square feet or a floor 20000 square feet no problem they'll shred our contract but then now we're tied in for another 5 to 7 year lease at a taller premium that we would still be paying and getting no equity out of it. So it was the best move we could have made. And we even lost we even lost money on the uh when we had to sublease out our space because we had signed a seven year lease and we got out after 
you know, four years. But even then, it still made financial sense for us. I remember that. It was a brilliant play. You guys um, leveraged the financing in a, in a brilliant way, I think. Um, you understood how to leverage and get this place. It's now worth well over $10 million. It's a class A, like I said, office building. Everyone, in, it's so much better than that Wells Fargo building. I, you can't miss it if you live in San Diego. Like I said, if you're driving north, five north, just passing uh, what, like a Sassafras in Washington, mm -hmm. right past you just Washington. look south and you see your big two, three-story building with a big, huge, lit up bulldog right at the top. You can't miss it. And it's just, you even further kind of woven yourself into like a, you know, this San Diego community with that because you know you're everywhere we see that we can't miss it what you did in real estate is a very impressive thing when I was telling you about getting you on my show you were kind of like well you know why me kind of thing and I'm just telling you maybe people don't tell you enough it's a you did an amazing thing with your business with real estate with um everything you do for charity and just kind of how you run everything I think it's very motivational. I think uh, it's influential. And I think a lot of people can learn from you, your real estate story, your business story, and the successes that you've had. So th thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Nate. It was a lot of fun. If anyone out there is uh, is in a is in some sort of accident or something, these guys are these guys, the the people for for personal injury in San Diego. There's no one better that cares more. Or, or just as as large as as this guy's group. So, Bada Fockerson Law Group. How can people reach you if they wanna if they wanna be in touch with you with you know maybe joining forces with you or they have a charitable event or even if they get you know into a car accident or something. Yeah. So, um, if you ever need to reach us, our phone number is six one nine three 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 five 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 five. That uh, will connect you with an attorney right away. If uh, you're looking for sponsorships or for us to help get involved in any of your community events, charity events, the best way to contact us is via email. You can just shoot something over to info, I-N-F-O, at batafulkerson.com. That's B-A-T-T-A-F-U-L-K-E-R-S-O-N.com. We hope you guys never need us, but if you ever do, we're here to help, and we appreciate uh, everyone. And thank you, Nathan, for this opportunity. Thank you for coming. That's Paul Bada. I'm Nathan Abbo, and this is 20 Doors, and thanks for listening. Olas Media.